This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. The guys at Zero Procure have walked a mile in the shoes of many of our listeners from the world of hospitality. In fact, they have over 70 years of collective experience of working in the hospitality industry, and that'll probably be me getting into trouble for making them feel old. I really recommend speaking to them to ensure you're working with the right suppliers at the right price. There's zero cost involved. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the season two finale of Hospitality Meets with me, your host, Phil Street. In today's episode, we're turning the tables with none other than Harry Murray MBE hijacking the show and putting me through my paces in his own unique way. I don't know what I was thinking, but coming up on today's show, Phil accomplishes his dreams. So I was going to get paid to travel and I was going to be in a job that allowed me just to talk to people. Harry sets the tone early. Good morning, Phil, and welcome to my podcast. <laughs> and Harry gets a story out of Phil that we've never heard before. And I, I get myself down to my boxer shorts. And the passengers are all loving it, I have to say. All that and so much more as Harry chats through my story and journey to date, as well as asking me more than a few questions that I was not prepared for. What a dream it was to be interviewed by Harry, and he does not disappoint with some great discussion around life lessons from a career in hospitality so far. He's as passionate about hospitality as he ever has been, and I just hope that I keep pace with the passion throughout our chat. Please don't forget to give us a like, subscribe and a share wherever you pick up your podcasts. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello. My name is Harry Murray, and it gives me great pleasure today to turn the tables on the inspirational and charismatic Phil Street, fellow of the Institute of Hospitality and founder and host of Hospitality Meets podcast. Phil reaches out to every corner of hospitality, and his podcast brings people together, and there is always something to learn from the legends he meets. Good morning, Phil. And welcome to my podcast. <laughs> good morning, Harry. How are you? I'm good. And especially after last night's win, Manchester United over Liverpool. Well, frankly, I mean, I did say to you that this is your platform to do with as you see fit, but I'm not sure I can get into talking about the, the football last night. It was disgusting. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> Well, before we discuss your successful and popular hospitality podcast, take me back to the beginning and the journey that brought you into the hospitality industry in the first place. Wow, straight in. Yeah, well, it's quite, uh, it's an interesting thing. I've had so much time to kind of reflect on this is that I, I definitely didn't immediately fall in love with hospitality. I, I remember from our chat that you were, um, you know, you had a very clear vision quite early on, but that didn't come to me until I, I was 21. My my parents had a hotel on a, a west coast of Scotland called, uh, an island called Tyree. And um, I worked for them through summers and, and things like that. And I didn't have an immediate love of the work, it's fair to say. But the one thing that I always loved was talking to people. And uh, so the the front-facing roles, if I was serving tables in the tea room, if I was serving tables at dinner, if I was just generally talking to the guests, I really enjoyed that element to it. But it was it was the hoovering and the doing the dishes and learning how to cook as a teenager. That None of that connected with me at, at all at that time. I went off to university. I was, I was quite desperate to get off the island and, and go and see the world. I went to Glasgow University to, to study actually leisure and recreation management because uh, I was heavily into sport and that was actually the, um, the direction I was wanting to, to take. I didn't really get on with that. I mean, I found it very, very easy. I found the management degree element quite straightforward. It appealed to my brain learning about uh, management and actually, you know, then learning about the technical elements of finance and things like that. But I, I wasn't convinced that going into being a leisure center manager was actually the thing that I wanted to do. So I graduated from uni, again, still not really knowing what I wanted to do. And then I thought, well, I'm, I want to go traveling, but I, I don't have any money having just been a student. So I've got to go and figure out a way to get paid to travel. So I uh, applied to cruise ships and I got lots and lots and lots of rejection letters. And then I didn't get a rejection letter from P&O. And I did this thing whereby this is actually a, a, a tactic that I, I tell anybody that I mentor around. If you really want a job, 
go get it. Don't wait for it to come to you. And uh, so I picked up the phone to, to P&O Cruises as a pimply-faced 20-year-old who didn't really have a clue about anything in life and um, got luckily put through to the head of HR for the whole company and ended up having a half-hour conversation with that lady. And two days later, I got a, an invite to interview and then went through the interview process and landed at that point what was my my dream job because I was going to become a receptionist on a cruise ship. So I was going to get paid to travel and I was going to be in a job that allowed me just to talk to people all the time. And it's fair to say that at that moment when I walked on my first ship, which was the, the old Arcadia, which is no longer in existence, I, I immediately fell in love with it. I um I just loved I loved the job I loved the company I loved the fact that every day was different and then I started gradually getting put through all of the other areas of of the business I did the I stint in the crew office night manager before this is actually quite a an amusing story I was always quite a a, a safe eater so we were traveling the world but all I was eating was kind of steak and chips wherever I went and then one day I woke up and I thought what are you doing? You're, you're traveling the world and you could be eating all of this amazing food and you're choosing steak and chips. So on the day that I, I remember the very clearly uh, being in a restaurant in Barbados and I thought, right, today's the day. We're going to start expanding the palate. And um, I am so glad that I did that because that then hooked me into food and beverage. And that was, that was now the direction for me. I really wanted to start pursuing a career in, in F&B. And then P&O were able to facilitate that move for me over into the food and beverage department. I started uh, in F&B and I'd, I would have been 22 years old at this point as assistant food and beverage manager. Then climbed the ranks to, to deputy. I did a, a short stint as a bar manager as well. And I look back on that time and I think to myself, I was a very, very young man. Yeah. But the, um, the responsibility that P&O were giving me was I look back and I think I, you know there's a part of me that thinks what were they thinking, but equally this is kind of something that I've seen in a lot of other people's stories as well is that good leaders see something in you that you don't see in yourself, especially in the early stages yeah. of, of your career. And I was an absolute benefactor of of that. I had really great leaders on board P and O, taught me so much, allowed me to make mistakes, and boy, I made some mistakes. And then, but equally, you know, with every mistake, I matured more. And so the mistakes became less. And I'll give you an example of the, the type of person I was as a young man, Harry. They used to do a whip around for birthdays for everybody's birthday on the ship. And I got given for my birthday an alarm clock and a, <laughs> and a hip flask, which kind of tells you everything you probably need to know about my where I, I, I was at the time. I was uh, a work hard, play hard kind of a guy in my, my early 20s. Yeah, and I stayed at I stayed with PO for five and a half years. I met my wife, uh, now wife, on board. And it's actually for me, I could not have imagined a better career to do in my early twenties. Waking up somewhere different every day. I was surrounded by high performing people who just wanted to to you know be the best that they could be. I had some great leaders to learn from, some some unbelievable mentors who are still great friends today. And you know, you I, you, you look back at times like that and you think without these people who do you become that was the 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 thing for me i mean you raise a point there phil about the importance of of leadership yeah and the importance of creating a culture and an environment where people enjoy their jobs which is absolutely vital uh, yeah. in, in any field but in particular in hospitality where you're serving people you're, you, you know, you're smiling, you're in the happiness business. Yeah. And you mentioned that leaders see the potential in people, which is the point you make. Yeah. But also you mentioned mistakes. You made lots of mistakes, but we learn from mistakes. You know, that, that uh, you know, if you look back in history, people learn from their mistakes and go on to, to greater things. Yeah. That's, I think it's growth, isn't it? That's, we don't, you don't have growth without, mistakes you know, and the number of people that i've heard who've said if only i'd had had a good leader i would have stayed in hospitality you yeah know, they were they you know they got they went to the wrong place at the wrong time and you know went out of hospitality and i think that's sad 
Yeah, and it's I agree. why now we, we we've had a wake up call. If we don't look after people, if we don't create the right culture, we've only got ourselves to blame. Yeah. But Phil, tell me, if you'd stayed in operations, what position would you have aspired to, and why? What, what you know, if you'd stayed in in the operation? Do you know this is a that's a really good question because I, I think that I'm not sure I really ever had a, a clear vision of uh, of where I was going I was especially at that age I think it was very much around somebody sees something and puts me into a job that I don't feel I'm ready for that happened a lot but then critically you know they gave me the the tools to make sure that I could be successful all of the time I was thinking right I want to consolidate my learning here and then somebody would say right we want to promote you into this position and I'm going give me a break I want I kind of want to just take on board what I'm uh, absorbing at the moment. So I, I think I was just, at the time, I was just sucking up the opportunity rather than thinking clearly about where this is actually going to take me. I knew that I wasn't going to spend my life at sea. I, I knew that very clearly. It's it's a wonderful life as a young man, but it, it, there comes a time whereby, I, and, and for me, it came to a head when we, we were in Barcelona, which is one of the greatest cities in the world. And I woke up in, in the morning and said, oh, God, we're in Barcelona again. And I thought, right, it's time for me to get off now, if um, if that's the case. And so I, the the only vision that I could ever really remember having is, is that I wanted to become a hotel general manager. That was that was right. the next step. But then I had a couple. I really, really struggled when I got off ships because we had a situation on ships whereby you're leading a team who are there to work. I mean, that's the primary purpose on board a ship. And so actually, try, we would have a situation whereby you would be doing a roll call and there, you've got three people in your team who shouldn't be there because they're ill and you're having to turn them away and go, no, you know, go and rest up and, you know, and get yourself well. When I came to, to London, that was almost flipped on its head. I had a, a situation whereby the, the team were almost trying to find an excuse not to come to work. And I really struggled with that as a as a leader. And I think what I as one of those things, what you know now, you'd have handled it differently. I just looked at people at that time and I and I thought to myself, God, these people are, you know, their attitude's in the wrong place. They're not taking control of their own destiny and blah, 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 and all of these things. And whilst part of that might have been true, the questions I should have been asking myself were, right, what do I need to do? to make sure that these people have everything that they need to, to want to come to work. And if by the end of that, you're still in a situation whereby these people are still not wanting to come to work, then it's time to get new people that do want to come to work and you can build a team from there. But my reaction to that was, is that I can't, I, I don't know how to deal with this because I don't have the skills, the leadership skills to, to be able to cope with that. And critically, my leadership placed it all on me so there was no support from above me to help me figure out how to get around it so that's the point where I think I started to become a little bit disillusioned with the path that I was on and I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point and frankly Harry I'm not sure I still do it's one it's one of those things I've never been a guy with a a grand plan and a, a, a great vision of where I should be and what I should be doing I've always been I suppose an opportunist really. And I've seen an opportunity and gone, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to go and give that a go. And that's what recruitment did for me. Here we are going back to one of the early things that I really enjoy doing, which is talking to people all day, every day again. And here we are 17 years later. I'm still doing it. <laughs> so how did you actually get into recruitment? I mean, it was a, a chance conversation with a, a recruitment company called Kerry Robert Associates, who at the time were trying to help me find my next role. And one of their uh, consultants, a chap called Simon Davies, said to me, have you considered recruitment as a career? And I hadn't because I'd been, I'd been on ships. So I hadn't even realized that uh, recruitment was something that one could do. And so I went in for a half day trial where I just sat with them and watched what they did. And I thought, yeah, this is interesting. Because also for me, I was it, it was an opportunity to learn something new, but also still keep me connected with the industry that I love. And at this time, my, my wife and I were, were not married, but we're, we're definitely, we had 
made the commitment to each other that you know we're 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 definitely in this for the long run. So it was becoming more important to me that we got time as well as a couple to be able to to flourish and do the things that you do. And here I saw an opportunity to have a a kind of a bit more control over the hours that I was keeping. And uh, yeah, I didn't look back. And how old were you? How old are you now? I would have been 27. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, 44 I am now. Right. So what was the first recruitment job then? Yeah, it was with uh, Kelly Robert Associates and Rob Maloney, who's one of the directors there, kind of took me under his wing and um, gave me a a lot of tools to, to move forward with. At the time I was it was a kind of a client driven arrangement. So kind of whatever the client needed, we would look for. And yeah, and I was with them for 18 months and I got my head turned by uh, Portfolio International as it was back then. And that's, I had two and a half years with Portfolio, some of the the best times of my life, just a, a wonderful team of people. They're all hospitality people who were just there to help each other. It was just a wonderful environment to be in. Just remind me of the people you worked with at that stage. You probably know them all, Harry. Yeah, so uh, Helen Morris, Shona Rye, Stuart Howie. Who else is there? Haley. I think she's Borlotti now. Yeah. Uh, Fabian Figaro, who is now my business partner. Right. And then, yeah, there was people on into the international desk. Greta, Andrew, Caroline on the uh, yeah. pub's desk. I mean, it's just... It was such a wonderful place to be because the I think portfolio strategy was to recruit people who came from the industry. It wasn't to recruit people who were recruiters. Right. And that strategy was great in terms of building a, a team that wanted to work together and help each other out. But that right. came to a head for me when uh, we had the 2008-9 crash, is that recruitment up until that point came quite easily. Because it was a, it was quite a reactive job. Because the phone was just off the hook all the time. Flip that on its head when the phone comes off, uh, you know, when when nobody's calling in now with any any jobs. And I again, I found myself in a situation where I didn't have the tools to be able to figure out how to to deal with that. And I was made redundant. And actually, funnily enough, I have just recorded a, a podcast for the IOH podcast around redundancy, because I I wanted to talk about. Actually, for a lot of people, it can be such a horrible word to hear. But for me, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it gave me a right royal kick up the backside. Yeah, Things were too comfortable and too easy uh, at that point. And actually, that going into that adversity moment whereby my wife and I had just pumped all of our savings into getting married the year before. We didn't, ha- we didn't have any reserve funds at that point in time. We just bought our property at exactly the wrong time. So all of a sudden, I found myself in a situation whereby we were basically figuring out how to make ends meet. And that's, uh, it's actually, it's probably weird for people to hear me say this, but it's it's actually a really great place to be in terms of figuring yourself out. The real wake-up call, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And And for me, it was, I just started asking myself, all sorts of questions about right what what kind of person do you want to become you know what what is next what really makes you kind of sing and dance and you know and all of these sorts of things and i realized that if i was to go back into recruitment i needed help i needed some coaching i needed to become a better recruiter uh, in terms of dealing with a situation whereby when the market is not buoyant how do you you know, how do you get around that and, and what skills you need to do that? And I, I actually joined a, a local accounting recruiting firm and I hated every minute of it, minute of it because it wasn't hospitality. No. It was very black and white. It was, uh, in, in many ways, it was a, a much easier recruitment place to be. I was there only there for nine months because I, I pretty much hated every day that I was there. But the learning curve was like that. And that what I learned in that nine months then helped me become a much better recruiter. And I got the call to come back into um, hospitality recruitment chess partnership right. and work, working under Chris Shepherdson. Yeah. And I, um, I had an interesting relationship with Chris. Chris is very well known throughout the, um, the industry. I think the work that he does is 
phenomenal with EP. Chris and I didn't, I, it's not that we didn't get on, but I don't think we saw per, perfect eye to eye on things. And I don't know whether this was part of the kind of, I would put this all on me. This is nothing to do with him. This is me now be, beginning to, I suppose, gain confidence in myself. And I think at this point, this is the transition in my mindset where I'm beginning to think, right, I, I need to be, I need to do my own thing. I've got to make that move at some point in my career and I can't do that here. And I had my own ideas around things and they weren't necessarily the same ideas around Chris's ideas when it came to, to recruitment. So as I say, I was only there for a year. I don't, I don't regret my time there at all. Chris taught me a lot and Chris is a force of nature when it comes to, to everything else it does. And I think I took a lot of inspiration from the other things that he was doing away from recruitment as well. And I, I think that, that probably sparked something in my head around, right, you're going to do something like that in the future. I don't know what that's going to look like yet. but It's interesting because uh, I suppose I spent maybe five or six years on his sort of chairman's board. Yeah. Where we helped young entrepreneurs, where we gave advice, listened to their stories and so forth. Yeah. So quite an interesting, he does some interesting work on leadership. Uh, Chris and uh, for sure, you know, makes makes a contribution to the industry. So, at this stage, is is this when you set up your own company, Momentum? No, I um I had a I had one more employed stint, and that I'm really glad that I did that actually because that was it was a move over to a company called Renard Resources. They wanted to affect a culture change in the business, in terms of. They wanted to move away from this, I suppose, what you might classify as wide boy recruiter kind of approach, uh, estate agency type uh, recruitment. And, you know, I do actually know some good estate agents, but the um, it was all sell, sell, sell. But actually, uh, for me, the, this is a, re- a relationship business and that's it. You know, it's, it's your ability to create relationships with people that makes you successful in recruitment it's nothing to do with sales it's absolutely anybody that that says it's a sales job i would argue with till the cows come home and so i went there and and was kind of brought in to to affect that change within the permanent division and so that was i suppose in many ways the last piece of the jigsaw because we were successful at that we turned them into a a profit making part of the business which it hadn't been for a very very long time and so that was the last piece of confidence that i needed I suppose to go right now. It's time to put your money where your mouth is and go out and and set up your own thing. And seven and a half years later, here we are. So, how old were you when you set up? So, was Momentum Recruitment the first business you set up? Yes. Yeah. 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 And how old were you then? So I would have been thirty-seven, I think. Right. Yep. When that happened. Okay. And tell me, tell me about Momentum Recruitment. Yeah, so, uh, well, uh, I mentioned Fabian earlier on that I worked with yeah. uh, in Portfolio. We also then worked together at Chess. We also then worked together at Renard Resources. And so we had, I think, as per most businesses, start on the, I think, the back of a bag packet or the a beer mat or something like that. A discussion over uh, a, a pint in the pub led to, why are we here now? You know, where is this going where it feels like we're bringing more to the table than the business is able to give back to us. So why do we need them? Uh, and that was the the conversation that we had. And and we actually went into plan. It took us 18 months to plan what we wanted it to become. The hardest part of it all, Harry, was finding a name. <laughs> right. Because uh, we had initially, we're both massive sports fans. And so we went to the world of sport for inspiration from from names. We can. And the first name we came up with was Engage, because we love rugby and we love that engagement. You know that that kind of that Engage, that was the yeah. first word that came to us. And went, oh, that could work. And then we both slept on it and woke up the next morning and thought, actually, that sounds a little bit like a dating agency, perhaps. So let's not have Engage. But they talked a lot. If you anybody who who watches sport knows that they talk an awful lot about the importance of momentum. And how momentum changes can happen in moments uh, of you know inspiration, of ascending off, of whatever. And actually, then if you translate that back into business, it's as equally important. And so 
that was the one where we went, we slept on it and we woke up and it's going, yeah, still like it, still like it. And I think we predated Labour coming up with the uh, Momentum name. So we were like, oh, no, we'll stick with it. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. So then we, we, what we wanted to figure out what we wanted to become. And we both have our areas of expertise. Fabian is very food and beverage led. And I have more of a focus within finance and senior operations within hotels because it's still the thing that I really kind of hotels sing to me more than anything else. Yeah. So, and we were always going to, we wanted to have very high standards of service. That was massively important. And it comes back to the, the comment I made earlier around relationships. I won't force a relationship with anyone. People can agree to work with me or not. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent comfortable with, with that. To me, it's important that in business, both parties that are at the table are, are seeing value in each other. And when that happens, you know, that's when the good stuff happens. It's interesting, interesting point. I know you're a fan of, of Simon Sinek. Yes. Uh, his book, Start With Why. Yeah. In his, in his book, he, he talks about culture and fitting in to a company. Yeah. And the importance of employing on attitude and work ethic. What are your views on that, uh, Phil? Yeah, I, I completely agree with the, the, the general statement around, I, I think, attitude rules. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, that that's the greatest piece of advice that I, I think I can give anybody who's listening to this and hopefully maybe is taking some moments of inspiration is, you know, the attitude, your own attitude is something that you can control. So and that, that happens in any moment where something happens to you, you can control how you respond to that. So it's um, that's a massively powerful idea for me. And I, I, I'm completely on board with that. And I, th I think I, if I look back on my career through my, my 20s and maybe most people are like this through that period of their life because it's a it's a real high learning period. You're learning about yourself. You're you know you're learning about what type of person you want to become. It's not just about the career path. It's about you as a human. But that um, that whole ethos of actually being able to control your own attitude to something didn't come to me until I hit my late uh, sort of mid to late thirties. I mean, it's it's interesting because if I look back on my own career, I've employed people with you know a first class honours degree in hotel management um in, in, in hospitality yeah and they've been failures yeah because of their attitude uh their 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 lack of respect for people uh subordinates and i've employed people who have come straight from school with no qualifications who have been successful so so it, you know, it really spells it out for me, the importance of attitude. Obviously, if somebody with a first class on his degree with the right attitude, yeah. uh, there's Double no win. limit to what they can agree. Yeah. But, but one question I wanted to ask you, uh, when I was in operations, I was always surprised on how few recruitment companies and businesses didn't ask for references. What are your views on that? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's massively important as part of the process, but I don't think... Because I've seen this work and not work. I don't think it's something that people need to place heavy emphasis on. Unless maybe there's some question marks in your head. I mean, I, I would argue if there's some question marks in your head, then don't move forward with the appointment. Although even that, I'm kind of now that I'm, I've said that out loud, I'm, I'm going to probably contrast myself because actually the question marks in your head can lead to a really great recruit because... Actually, a lot, a lot of the time, people try to re recruit in their own eye as to you know what somebody should look like. But in actual fact, you should recruit to fill the gaps that that you're bad at, that your weaknesses are yeah. in. There's been situations on both sides, Harry. To be honest, whereby you place an emphasis on a a, a reference, and some somebody gets a, a negative reference from somewhere, and you don't necessarily know what the specifics are, but it's enough to spook somebody enough to not take them forward. But some of the greatest recruits that you'll ever make in your business, as far as I'm concerned, will be a little bit maverick and a little bit left field. And actually, these are the ones whereby they, they have a, an awful lot of times they come back and you'll look back two, three years later and go, God, you remember when I thought that this person wasn't going to be the right fit, but look at them flourish and fly. 
And ultimately, Absolutely. this is probably another conversation that I had uh, on the IOH podcast, actually, around this comes back to attitude again. If the business is giving the the individual the right tools and that person grows up with that company, then, you know, that's when sparks fly. If the if the business is not giving the the person the right tools to flourish, then that's when you're going to get negative references. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the person's done anything wrong. It just means that that company wasn't the right place for that person to be. I mean, personally, I've I've always been a great believer in giving people a second chance. If if you yeah. know, if, if for example, you know, they 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 failed in in one place doesn't mean they'll fail in the next place. Perhaps yeah. it was the wrong place to be in in the first place. But tell me, with your various companies, you've got Momentum Recruitment, then the Curriculum Vitae. Just yeah. tell me a little bit about that. So that was that was born out of uh, the redundancy uh, at Portfolio. I needed some money, basically. this is There's no grand plan with this. It was a case of, okay, so this is what our outgoings are. Without my income, we're going to be right on the, the bread line. What can I do? to make money going into another recruitment job didn't seem appropriate at a time where nobody was recruiting so i uh, i thought what what do you know how to do you know how to write somebody's cv so set up a cv writing business and uh, i actually had at the time i got i got lots of comments back from the people at portfolio who were still there around at the time i was everywhere across linkedin saying free cv review free cv review and just you know getting people to send me their CVs and I'd give them a, a, a review and say, if you, you know, if you believe, believe in what I've said and you want me to, to make the changes for you, then here's, the, here's the cost. And within uh, three days I had turnover in the business, you know, it was never going to retire me, nice. but it was a, a means to an end born out of a need just to, to figure out um, a way to make some money in the short term. So I still have that business. It's not something right. I, I especially drive forward but it still sits there as a as a consulting tool for anybody who who feels that they might need some help in that area and then tell me about hospitality finance and accounting recruitment expand on that so that that was probably i mean that's that's my area of expertise now i suppose uh, in the grand scheme of things and i don't really know how that came about I, I it's one of those things that i definitely fell into that that wasn't a strategic decision that i i made I think maybe the initially that came from working for Kerry Roberts Associates, who had a bit of a finance slant. So they taught me some basics. I then went to Portfolio, and one of the things that the hotel division got me to do was to set up a finance desk because I had previous experience in finance with Kerry Roberts Associates. I then left the industry and went to an accounting and finance recruitment company who then you know, filled in some further blanks on that front. And then it's just always something that I've gotten on well with. And, you know, there's this big misconception in my view, and especially within hospitality, that finance is a boring place to be. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's an alive part of the business, and without it, business fails. Um, so it's an interesting point, because I've always believed the financial controller is, 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 is a very important part of the team. Yeah. And that every head of department should have finance training. You know, for example, chefs, a lot of sh great chefs open restaurants. They have no clue about finance. Yeah. So I've always shared the P&L account with all heads of department, with the financial controller there, to go through the P&L and explain the costs, the labor costs, the food costs, the liquor costs, utilities costs. Yeah. So that they fully understand that bottom line. And I'm a great advocate for that. And uh, are you a member of HOSPA? Uh, I'm actually currently not. Are you going to tell me off now? <laughs> no, no, I am going to tell you off because I'm president of HOSPA. Uh, indeed. I know. I should, I should have pre-planned that. And on the 17th of November, we have our annual conference at, at the Royal Lancaster. So I'm going to give a plug for HOSPA. But HOSPA... If you look online, their training programs are quite incredible. Revenue management, financial management. Now they've introduced asset management and technology. Brilliant. They're backed by great sponsors. And Jane Pendleberry, uh, who I strongly advise as, as a, someone to interview or meet on the okay. podcast. Noted. Because she does a great job and did a great job 
you know, throughout the pandemic. You know, one of the most enjoyable parts of my job is is giving out certificates to at the various levels uh, of revenue management, financial management, technology, and so forth. Yeah, and certainly, you know, they're promoting uh, this. You know, as I say, online, easy to to learn for people who work in hospitality. Now, to date, you've hosted uh, 120 podcasts. Yeah. Um, you know, how did you start this? What, what, what gave you the idea and the inspiration and how did you go about setting it up? So a couple of questions there, Phil. Yeah, yeah. This is a great question because I really love talking about this, just for a pure indulgent moment. But this comes down to a, a very simple moment in my life whereby I turned 40 and my father said to me on the morning of my 40th birthday, what's your great epiphany? Everybody kind of has a great <laughs> epiphany when they turn 40. And I said, no, I, I, I don't have it. I, I, you know, I had a, a great epiphany when I was age 25, when I went traveling and went through a horrific breakup and had a big epiphany on, on that moment. But I was thinking that, that you know, I'm not going to have that. And then six months later, I had a big, a big epiphany. And it was all around time and that time is incredibly precious. And what are you doing with your time? That's, that is basically the question I asked myself. And what would you like to be doing if, you know, you were really kind of driven towards something. And all I could think about was, I'm, I'm just pig sick of people talking about this industry like it's nothing. So that was the question I wanted. How do we solve that problem? That was the, the question I asked myself. And the answer was, I have no idea. That was, that was basically my initial response. But what could we do to start the ball rolling on something that at least then get something moving and maybe other ideas will come up in the throes of what what you're doing and and I landed on a podcast because here once again was an opportunity to talk to people and as you can tell by the name the name hospitality meets the initial strategy behind that was to go and meet people and then of course 2020 happened with the uh, the pandemic and meeting people became impossible so it all kind of went online but actually that's been a really great uh, element of it because it's been I've been able to cast the net a hell of a lot further uh, in terms of the people that I interview. So I just wanted to use the podcast to to show the world that this is the greatest industry on earth and do that through the people who work in the business and talk about the fun stuff that happens and you know and all of the amazing stories that people have. I mean, you know, one of your stories made it onto the 100 the hundredth episode when I did a best of uh, the first one hundred episodes, you know, because you you were delivering hospitality to President Mandela, and I think I just these moments, nobody talks about these moments in the mainstream, so that's pure and simply why the podcast exists is to. Well, I must say that I think it's been a great success because you can the passion comes across. I mean, you know, you you can feel the passion, and and uh, you know, I know most of these people anyway. And I've learned so much about them and their, you know, how they got into hospitality and so forth. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. You know, we do sort of this great damage about the long hours, the poor pay, the poor conditions and so forth. When we should be boasting about, you know, that we are in the happiness business, that we yeah. provide this hospitality. I mean, you know, the the, the, the the story that, I mean, Prince Charles spoke to the master inholders. I mean, I, I listened to that time and time again. Yeah. You know, he, he states how important our industry is to, to society, to the local communities and so forth. We do a lot for charity and, and, and you don't hear about all these wonderful things we do in hospitality. No, indeed. But it brings me to a question. As you know, UK hospitality industry has a huge staffing crisis uh, and has caused many businesses now to close and many others are reducing service and opening time. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you were Minister of Hospitality, what action would you take to support the industry through this crisis, both in the short term and the long term? So that that's wow. a, a, a big question for you. Yeah, I knew there was a reason I was scared about uh, doing this this podcast. I knew you would come up with some belting questions, but um, I, I I think first and foremost, the, the first thing I would do is listen, because I, I just don't think that government listen, <laughs> and that's a very sweeping statement. But I just I, I've never felt a time in my life where I've just felt that that government just feels so disconnected from what's going on in the real world. You know, we there's a, a 
a whole manner of challenges that businesses are having to face right now, notwithstanding the, the staffing crisis. So yeah, that I would definitely listen to what's being said. And then it's a case of, I, I suppose, you can't, it's almost impossible to, to deal with everything all in one go. So you've got to pick your battles. I'm pretty sure that there's more that the government could do in terms of easing the pain of rising energy costs and, and these sorts of things, which, you know, could be quite crippling to a lot of businesses, oh, as we, especially absolutely. as we enter into to the winter months. That that would need I mean, to I be spoke, a front. I spoke to the local chip shop and he, he was telling me the cost of running that range now yeah. quadrupled yeah. uh, during the past few months. Yeah. And you know, you can, there's only so much they can pass on, isn't there, to the, yeah, uh, to yeah, the consumer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're absolutely right about listening. This is when we, when we were trying, you know, we, 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 we sort of had this mission to, to, to have a minister of hospitality. That was the main point we raised was we want someone to listen and understand hospitality. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, they make an absolute fortune in hospitality. They have no idea no. Uh, of the high labor costs, you know, and, 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 and energy costs and so forth. Yeah, And we just want someone who will listen. I mean, the fact that we've lost 200,000, uh, you know, EU migrants, to, you know, following Brexit and, and the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, they were part of the culture of hospitality. Absolutely. You know, they, they helped this country to, 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 to be in the position it's in. I mean, we're in a, a very good position in terms of standards, but we certainly, certainly have uh, suffered as yeah. a result of, of losing those EU nationals. And Brexit was certainly very damaging, uh, you know, to the hospitality industry. Mm, uh, now, you hosted people from all sectors of hospitality. What, in your view, is, and I'm sure I know what the answer will be, but what is the common thread of skills and qualities that have come across uh, from successful operators? God, you do have some good questions. I should have expected this, shouldn't I, really? Um, I, I think that it all comes back to what we were talking about earlier on. First and foremost, the, the, the ability to control your own attitude, I think, is is the greatest skill you can give yourself. I also believe deeply in, in self-reflection, the ability to look within and ask yourself hard questions around how you acted in a moment, um, what you could have done better. I think if you if you have these two capabilities... You'll never be in a situation whereby you can't learn and grow from whatever happens. Even if whatever happens to you takes you so far outside your comfort zone that you can't even comprehend. I guarantee in situations like that, everyone looks back five years ago and, and looks at something that they did and, and go, God, I could have absolutely handled that better or, or whatever. But yeah, so it all comes back to attitude for me. I think don't think you know it all at whatever stage you're at of your career. I think the minute you do that, you've lost. You'll you'll not get any respect from the people that work for you. You'll not get respect from the people who employ you. You know, so again, but that that's an attitude thing again, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because if you remember uh, on 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 my podcast with you, I didn't know it all. There's a lot I didn't know and I think, you know, that actually helped me because I surrounded me, myself with people with more knowledge, more skills, yeah, more experience than I have. My skill was motivating them, inspiring them, and I think that that's the key. And and I think you know on on your podcast, what came across to me was passion for yeah. the industry and love for the industry. You know, and and again, you know, if you go back to Simon Sinek's book, it's all about you must love your job. You, you know, I I think I use the story again. Uh, in my podcast with you about Steve Jobs, find a job you love and don't stop. I actually put this on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. Don't stop until you find it. Uh, and like all matters of the heart, you will know when you found it. Yeah. Um, Do you know, I think you, the, 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 the start with why element is a great place to start. I also yeah. he heard something recently which resonated with me. The, the what is equally as important. Absolutely. You know, and and how and the what. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I don't lose sight of the you because know, the what is the is actually the things you come to work to do. Absolutely. You know? So that's yeah. massively important as part of the journey. Well, I mean, again, as Simon Sinek says, the why is is the leader that has the vision. The how is the mission statement. That that's the people who've got to make it work. Yeah. 
uh, and the what is is what actually happens. So you know this is why that book is so great. Yeah. Of the hundred, again going back to the hundred and twenty people you you've hosted, point the listeners to. I know you've got the the, the hundred, but point the listeners to one or two stories that they should listen to. Yeah, I I, I always my go to with this, and he was actually um, having heard him speak before. He was always uh, on my wish list of guests to have and that Cyrus Toddy Waller because okay. he is a master storyteller such yeah. a charismatic man I remember halfway through the conversation with him where I was at the, the strategy behind these uh, episodes was to kind of keep them around 45 minutes to an hour there or thereabouts and I think we were an hour in uh, to his story and we'd only gotten to 1982 um, yeah, and I remember thinking I, that was I'd learned something that day as well is that I should have just wound him up and let him go really, and uh, and if it took three hours, we could have just aired the episode across a couple of episodes. Yeah, you know. So I would definitely go and listen to Cyrus because his his stories are hilarious and he's just a he's just a wonderful storyteller. I agree, and a wonderful chef as well. Yeah, and just a wonderful man, really. I mean, yeah. he, he talk about giving back. He's um, yeah, he continues to do that in spades. Absolutely. And uh, and tell me a story about yourself that might surprise and or shock our listeners. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Well, I, as I mentioned, I was uh, in my early 20s. I, I, I perhaps wasn't fully in control of my attitude at times. There was a, a situation in my first ever contract whereby, and I'm going to claim I was led astray here by somebody who should have absolutely known better. But um, the food and beverage manager at the time, he and I, I'm not going to mention his name, but he and I uh, clicked and we got on really well. And um, he and I, we went out for a drink after work up on decks, socialized with some passengers as we, uh, as you do, nothing kind of outlandish there. We found ourselves amongst the last people standing, if you like, I'm not sure we were quite standing, in the nightclub. And um, the Phil Monty came on the, the the music that you would associate with the Phil Monty. And so this uh, this chap pulls me up by the hand and here we are. I'm a, a 21-year-old junior yeah, officer yeah. Uh, and I, I get myself down to my boxer shorts. And the passengers are all loving it, I have to say. Yeah. They were all, the ones that were there, they were all really, really uh, loving it. And then the very next morning I went into work and I saw my name in the night report oh, and, oh. and I knew that uh, disaster was coming. And actually, to, at that point, I thought to myself, this is it, you're going to get sacked. And I, this is always comes, I always talk about this story whenever this has come up before around the fact that, they again, they must have seen something in me because I didn't get sacked. I got a, a right old rap on the knuckles. Of course, I never did anything like that again. So I learned from my mistake. But the reaction of the, uh, of the executive purser the, uh, the hotel general manager uh, on board a ship when he pulled me in to, to discuss this incident. I mean, he could see that I came into that, that meeting with my tail between my legs and I knew, I knew I'd done wrong and all of these things. So he didn't really berate me at all. Um, he just said, look, you know, you, you've, you've done wrong. I'm going to give you a, a, a verbal warning. Make sure you, it doesn't happen again. And, I, you know, I was kind of head down, thinking, oh, God, I've let myself down. I've, you know, what if I'd have got sacked? I'd have had to go home and tell my parents that I'm a disaster and all of these things. So it's a really great lesson to learn. But as I got up to leave, he could see that I was quite depressed about the whole situation. And he said to me, listen, Phil, don't worry too much about it. When I was your age, I would have done exactly the same thing. And um, and I remember thinking that that turned around the moment for me, just in that one sentence that, okay, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm not such a disaster. But, you know, I always say to, uh, if, if I hadn't been performing well at work, I think there's a, there's a good chance that that would have been the end of my career at sea. Because I'd seen it with other people who didn't, who weren't particularly good at their job. That, you know, there was no questions asked. And they use that, they use that as the excuse. Yeah. Who, who's been the biggest influence in your career and, and why? I think that I always come back to the same guy every single time. It was a, a chap called Keith Delamere who really, he was one of the ones that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He saw that I could be pushed, but never pushed me so far that it became a problem. 
always gave me counsel, always was a, a wonderful mentor. Whenever I had a situation that I didn't know how to handle, his door was always open. And I think without him at the time, he was my first boss within the world of food and beverage. When I'd gone from you know being slightly out of my depth in the previous role, but I was getting my head around it into monumentally out of my depth. At that point, we had, um, you know, I was an assistant food and beverage manager and I was uh, in charge of the galley team, as in the the guys who clean the galley, not the chefs. And um, he taught me an awful lot about how to handle people when it comes to conflict and, um, you know, never be the driver of conflict. That was basically his uh, his. Right. His, uh, his line to me. And if somebody's coming at you with conflict, make sure you're not rising up to it. You've got to okay. bring them down to, right. to your level. If you could host one world personality from any industry or sport, who would you choose and why? Well, that's a wonderful question. God, I, th- I mean, I think Simon Sinek might be up there for, for sure. I, th- I, I think... Yeah, absolutely. I think to have an intellectual conversation with that man, I, and what I really love about him is that he um, he's actually still very, very humble, you know, yeah. despite his success. And he often talks about the fact that he's not intellectual at all. He's no. just lucky that he's able to take intellectual ideas and turn them into s- simple words that people can understand. What I like about him is the way, with the why, the way he looked at various successful people you know dr mark uh, luther king yeah you know and and steve jobs and all these various people you know even going back to the wright brothers you know comparing the wright brothers because they had the passion they didn't have the money but they had the passion yeah and if you look at all those comparisons it's what you know and and i listened to his uh on youtube quite a lot yeah there's actually a really lovely idea that just on the back of what you just said there around naivety is is a wonderful trait to have because and actually this came about from the episode that's going out this coming wednesday which will i think be last week's episode by the time this comes out the the couple i speak to our founders of a of a distillery who basically were exactly like you said about the the right brothers there they didn't really have a clue about what they were doing. They just kind of threw themselves into it with passion. And that's, you know, that's naivety. I mean, they, they talk openly about how naive they were, but without that naivety, they probably wouldn't have made the no. decisions that they made. So it's also another massively important trait, I think. Right. Now, another question for you. If you could host six people for dinner, dead or alive, who would you choose God. and why? That's another another wonderful question, and actually, I, I I often used to ask this question to other people, but it was it was three people, so um, <laughs> so, so six is uh, is a a challenge. But in actual fact, it, it dawned on me there that actually the the person that I'd love to interview most on a on a podcast is Jurgen Klopp. Right. Sorry to say, Harry, but um, he uh, uses he uses passion. I love yeah. the way he puts his arm around the players. Yeah. You know, he loves the players and, 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 you know, you can love someone and you can still have discipline. Yeah. I mean, it's the same in, in running a hotel. I, you know, put your arm around a member of staff, but if they do something wrong, you discipline them in the right way for yeah. the right reasons. And, and, you know, I, I, he oozes, his personality comes across and you can see the players, they love playing for him, yeah. you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not a Liverpool supporter. But I admire good leadership. Yeah, he's got it. Yeah, he's got bags of charisma as well. I think yeah. it, it, you know to have a sit down and have a leadership discussion with him would be incredibly yeah. fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And he would be at my dinner table for sure. Right, right. And and Simon Sinek, I assume. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. yeah, I'd also have Dave Grohl, who is the uh, okay. the the lead singer of the Foo Fighters. I um, right. I just I just love him as a human. Beyond right. the music, and having read his book recently as well, he's got some cracking stories. Um, so yeah. that would be uh, an awful lot of fun. Who else would I have? I think Martin Johnson because he yeah. was um, great leader. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, an absolute linchpin and a, a mammoth of a man in yeah. in that time when uh, England were dominant in in world rugby. In my era, it would have been Willie John McBride. <laughs> 
the, right. the captain of the line. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You're, you're in the right generation. Mine would have been Woody John McBride. But yeah. Go on. So you've got, I, I you've always got remember seeing, I read uh, Lawrence Delaglio's book once, and it, there was a picture of uh, him and Martin Johnson shaking hands at the end of the last game that they played at club level together. Yeah. They, they were on opposite yeah. sides. Yeah, yeah. And Lawrence Delaglio is not exactly a small man, but he, no, he, looked, he looked like a tiny man compared with Martin Johnson. Eddie Hall. I, yeah. uh, th- and this is a new one for me. I've always been, this is something that comes back to kind of a childhood tradition whereby my, my father and my brother and I always used to every new year watch the World's Strongest Man competition. Uh, on, uh, on TV, and I still watch it to this day because it's still yeah. it's still yeah. run every year. And Eddie Hall broke the world record. Uh, he was the first man to to lift half a ton uh, in the deadlift, which yeah. you know uh, the vast majority of us can't even comprehend. But more than that, I always used to look at him and go, "He's such a grumpy man." Like he's just, but actually now that he's not in competition mode, he does an awful lot around social media and and a, especially around attitude lifting. Yeah. And um, and I, I I would imagine that he would also have some incredible stories. Right. Um, Billy Connolly. Oh, absolutely. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. I mean, a wonderful human being. Stories. Parkinson's. Parkinson's uh, favorite. Yes. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I, yeah. just uh, just like again, charismatic. What and, is sad, Phil? What is sad, Phil? I heard him a few weeks ago saying he couldn't do his act now. Because mm. of the rules, the way society has gone, the rules and regulations, he just couldn't do his act. And yeah. it is so sad because, you know, we've all talked about, you know, the Scots, the Irish, you know. Yeah. But ultimately, it, that, that again comes down to controlling your own response yeah, to yeah. something, doesn't it? And um, yeah. Ricky yeah. Gervais has actually got a really great way of summing this up yeah, in yeah. one of his stand up uh, shows that I saw where yeah. social media is basically like if you were a, a, a guitar teacher and you posted in the in the olden days when you used to put your services up in the supermarket, you know, and you, you would put, I, uh, I'm giving guitar lessons, please call this number if you would like guitar lessons. And then somebody would go past and pick it up and call them up and go, I don't want guitar lessons. And um, that's social media right there, yeah, yeah. is that you don't, yeah. you shouldn't need to be commenting on these things. Just, no, no. just move on. Yeah. Um, you mentioned right at the beginning about uh, Glasgow University and doing the, you know, y- y- your course there on uh, sport. What are your hobbies and, and and your views on exercise? I think it's essential. I, I I know the person that I've been when I've not had an exercise routine, and I know the person that I am when I have, and I'm I'm a way better human being when I'm exercising. I equally, I think it's it's massively important to stay active generally. Anyway, for uh, I've seen people decline when all they did was stop, basically. You know, they, they didn't. 100%. Phil. Yeah. 100%. Uh, I know that you're a very active man to this day, Harry. Every day. Every day. And, 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 you know, and I've stepped it up. I mean, I'm on Strava, you know, and, and I, you know, I just so believe in it, you know, to wake up in the morning, no aches and pains, touch wood. And uh, I would recommend it. And especially in hospitality, that, that's how I started. That's I wasn't a great sportsman at school, but in hospitality, I realized that walking around the restaurant and, and around the hotel is not exercise. You've got to get the heart going and you've got to get away from the building. So yeah, yeah take it for that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier, and I think it's important, and, and you may not, have the answer now and uh, but i would like to leave you with this thought okay is what is your own vision for the future i'm a great believer in vision yeah and i i i you know i recommend this you know to the people i mentor if you got in your car and and you didn't put the sat nav on or have somewhere to go you'd actually drive around in circles (laughs) i feel the same i feel exactly the same with a career that if you have a vision and it doesn't matter what it is as you know, mine, mine wasn't money. Mine wasn't to be a millionaire. Mine was to manage a five-star hotel. Yeah. Uh, so I leave that with you. If you don't have a vision now, think about it. No, I, I, I absolutely, I probably never had a clearer vision than I do in this moment in my life. Right. And that is, it, it's kind of two-pronged. One, I, I, I'm actually working with a coach at the moment to try and figure out how the the pathway works. I have no problem with the vision, but I'm not so great 
sometimes with the path to get there. So that, that's the how. Yeah, indeed. And I, um, uh, I have the vision to create a, a, a recruitment company that looks after everybody it touches. And that's from anyone that works within, uh, from anyone that we help move their career forwards. But more than that, I, I kind of want to create a, 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 an organization that any excess profit gets put back into the industry. I'm a big believer yeah. that, that we can all rise together. So right. that's a massive part of where I want to take my business in recruitment. Yeah. Um, hospitality Meets is, uh, is just really at the beginning of its journey in the grand scheme of things. I'm beginning to see a vision for this of a, of a, a, a really positive center of community around the industry. And that's something that I, I want to try and develop. I don't know what that looks like yet, but they, um, I, I have that very much as, as part of the, the vision. Well, I wish you well. Thank you. Phil, I've really enjoyed every minute of our chat. And on behalf nice. of the hospitality industry, would like to thank you for the excellent contribution you're making to the industry through your podcast. Thank okay. you, Phil. Bless you, Harry. Goodbye. Thank you very much. And there we have it, a brief window into my soul as well as hopefully demonstrating you can still build a career without a clear plan. That wraps season two and a huge thank you to you all for listening and don't worry, we'll not be away long as we return in October for more fun and shenanigans from the legends that work in the world of hospitality. I'll see you then.